What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our Advent series heading into Christmas on heaven and earth. We looked at the start of the Christian New Year in the first week of Advent and saw how we are patiently waiting for Jesus' return. But that every day God waits is a day for us to repent and turn back toward the Lord. Then last week we saw the great surprise, the invitation to repent is not about the world out there, it's about us in here. It's about each one of us looking inward, and when we do, we get another surprise. We realize we don't always know what's right, and that ultimately this life is all about submitting our will to the Lord. Now we focus on another aspect of this Advent season leading up to Christmas, and that's light. Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, and when we hear Scripture say that there is a light that shines in the darkness, we know that light is Jesus. But what does that mean, and why does that even matter? Does this light from the birth of a baby do anything or, or change anything? Let's take a moment to hear our scripture read by Joe. This is just after the beginning of John's gospel. John, the disciple, has declared that the wisdom of God has become human flesh, and that this being is the life and light of all people. But then the gospel writer makes a bit of a turn. He introduces us to a different John, not the disciple and gospel writer, but John the Baptist. We heard about him last week, but this introduction of him seems very different. Let's listen as we hear John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong on his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And from Psalm 26, 1 through 3, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to you. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Lord, open our hearts as we seek to be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. What is it that you would have for us today as we consider your light sent into the world? Bless us now, Lord, with the move of your Holy Spirit. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was a man traveling at 17,000 miles an hour in utter and complete darkness. It's blacker than any blackness you've ever experienced because it's happening in outer space. Pure, absolute darkness. The man's name is Dave Wolf, and he's been in space many times, and on a spacewalk, he says, if the ship blocks the light from the sun, then things look like they just completely disappear. When that light is blocked, there is no other light. You could have your arm right in front of you, and it would look like it isn't there anymore. On his very first spacewalk, he remembers getting out of the spaceship and looking down toward the Earth. It was as if the Earth was gone because they were, they were on the other side of the sun, just total blackness. And the only thing that marked the Earth was the absence of stars in the distance. Remember, though, that Dave is traveling at 17,000 miles an hour. He can't see the earth. There are no lights from his ship, and it is total darkness around them. Dave said it was like being suspended in a cocoon of black, floating gently, peacefully tethered to his ship. Then suddenly there is a blaze of bright light shooting from behind him, it was the sun coming up from around the earth, and as the sun comes up, he can suddenly see that the earth is all lit up in just a few seconds. Now, with the light, he can see that he is 200 miles above the earth, traveling at five miles per second. Oceans, clouds, and deserts are whizzing by, so he clutches onto the handrails of the ship as if he's going to die. As the sun revealed everything around him, he suddenly realizes just how high up he is and how fast he is going. He described it as laying on the ground comfortably when someone suddenly flips a light switch and you realize you're on a 400,000-foot-high ladder. It was terrifying. And to top it off, the sun is blazing hot, so the temperature changes by 400 degrees in a single second, yet... For all its terror, the view is absolutely spectacular. The greens and blues are this pastel-like color, and there are contrasts of bright lights that just can't be found anywhere on Earth, only in space. The light provides such a dazzling vision of the world. It's beautiful and majestic, but it can also be uh, terribly disorienting when you've been in the darkness. I've never liked the dark very much. When I was little, I always had a nightlight or a clock radio on in the bedroom. I could probably count on one hand the number of times I was in deep, total darkness. One that sticks out in my mind is when my brother and sister put a sleeping bag over my head and then put me in a closet. I don't think they were trying to be mean, uh, but once I was alone in the darkness, struggling to breathe, I immediately started freaking out, uh, yelling for them to get me out. I, I tore off that sleeping bag as fast as I could, tumbled out of the closet, and breathed a sigh of relief as the light hit my face once again. 
I'm pretty sure none of us have ever agreed to play a game like that again. The darkness can be terrifying, but it can also provide a false comfort. The dark can convince us that everything is just fine, even when it's not, pure and simply because we cannot see what the problem is. We don't know something is wrong when it's in the dark. This was very much the situation when Jesus was with his disciples. The scriptures go out of their way to make it clear how little people understood about Jesus and his mission. In John 3, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the cover of darkness, and he asks Jesus how he can be, to quote Jesus, born from above. Jesus says, you are a religious teacher, and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus, despite his religious devotion, was truly in the dark. In John 4, a Samaritan woman is at a well and Jesus asks her for water. When the disciples come back, they are scandalized that Jesus is talking to her. They urge him to eat food and he says, I have food you know nothing about. They can't figure out where he got food from, but obvious to us, Jesus is talking about spiritual food. They just completely miss it, even as the Samaritans, who are supposed to be in the dark, understand and believe in Jesus. In John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and the next day they come back asking for more proof, more bread, to really make sure that he's a prophet of God. Jesus says, my body is the bread you need to eat. And what do they do? Fittingly, in John chapter 6, verse 66, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with Jesus. They don't understand him, so they leave. There was a preacher who was talking to his boss. The preacher had taken a few months off from leading the church so that he could listen to other preachers and be re-energized for ministry. The boss asked him about his experience. So what did you learn from listening to all those preachers? And the preacher said, I learned that if anyone learns anything from a sermon, it's an absolute miracle. Now, isn't that the truth? Don't tell me you haven't thought that yourself. Sometimes I'm not even sure what I'm saying up here. The truth about the life God wants for us is hard to understand. That's what John means in chapter 1 when he says, Jesus was in the world, yet the world did not know him. His own people did not accept him. We declare that Jesus is the light of the world, and yet, over and over, people are confused and perplexed by him. It's like being in space, going from a cocoon of blackness to the disorienting blaze of sunlight. You thought you were safe and comfortable, but when you are exposed to the true light, it can be bewildering. What is this? What is going on? John the Baptist helps us make sense of this. Instead of a message of repentance like we heard last week, this week we hear how John is testifying to the light. He is making an introduction, trying to point us in the right direction. The religious people ask him who he is, and he he says very clearly, look, I'm not the light. I'm not the Messiah you are looking for. So they ask, then who are you? And his answer is beautiful in its simplicity. He says, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. A voice. 
he speaks to help reveal the way to the light. Now, I could tell you we are all like John the Baptist. We are all meant to be a voice, a witness, bearing testimony of who Jesus is and how we are to point to Jesus. But I know that's not going to be all that helpful to many of you. Many of us suffer from a disease, and that disease is called emotional opacity. It means we block others off from what's going on inside us. Now, this is normal. We are unique, and if we don't tell others about ourselves, they don't know what we're thinking, right? If we do nothing, we are opaque. Nobody can see inside us. But life is all about living to its fullness, uh, connecting with others, blessing them, and caring for them. And in doing so, we find ourselves more connected with God. So part of living is to learn to be emotionally transparent, to connect with other people, to skillfully share what is happening inside us with others so we can be on the journey together. Now, this is hard work. We have to be clear with others about our thoughts and be honest about our feelings. On one end, we can blame others or be reactive because of how we feel. On the other end, we, we can blame, uh, we can uh, uh, lie or we could uh, cut ourselves off from others. Neither of these is good. Sometimes it comes out as TMI, too much information. Uh, my son was sick this past week, and every once in a while, he or my wife wanted to tell me the gory details of his disease, and I kept thinking, I don't need to know this. This is not helping anyone sharing these details. At the dinner table, my lovely wife made soup and wouldn't tell me what kind of soup it was until after I ate it and told her how I felt about it. She was being opaque. She thought she could trick me into saying I like something with lima beans in it. Too bad for her, as a kid, my mother force-fed me lima beans for years, and I'll never like anything with lima beans in it. TMI, I know. We share these things because it can be hard to carry the burden of our past, or because a pain in the present is too much for us. The way forward is not diarrhea of the mouth or cutting ourselves off from others. The way forward is perfectly revealed by John the Baptist. John says, as you heard last week, I am not worthy to untie the thong of the sandal of the one coming after me. John recognizes his own shortcomings. He knows he's not worthy of Jesus. That's how many of us feel. I know it's true for me. I don't feel worthy of Jesus. I don't feel worthy to stand up here and talk to you about how to follow God. I can see all too clearly my own shortcomings, my own failures. When someone in the church tells me they want me to go convince someone else to join the church, I think, me? Are you sure you want me to go? I'm not a very good representative of Jesus. I can't even compliment my wife's lima bean soup. And yet, what John says is always ringing in the back of my mind. I am a voice. I am a witness of Jesus Christ. My job is not to be Jesus, perfect and brilliantly shining like the sun. My job is to reveal Jesus, to be transparent enough that people can see Jesus at work despite me. 
I can't run off my mouth telling people how great I am and telling them to be just like me. I'm not worthy enough for that. I also can't cut off myself from other people, completely opaque so that no light ever shines through me. I simply bear witness to what I've seen in Jesus about the good news that Jesus is here. And Jesus loves us, even when we fall short, even when we don't feel worthy. Will Willimon shares a few words in his study, Heaven and Earth, about what it means to be a witness for Jesus. I invite you to listen to what he has to say. You know, in, in court, a witness testifies to what the witness has seen and heard. Nobody expects the witness to be creative or original. With a witness, the, the personality, the educational background, or the actions of the witness, well, it's not important to the court. What matters is the vocal testimony of the witness. I tell the jury what you heard at the corner of 5th and Vine on the afternoon of Monday, December the 11th. The witness is expected truthfully to testify to an actual occurrence, not to engage in fantasy or wishful thinking. That's what John's gospel and the voice invite us to do as we stand on the threshold of the Incarnation. We're not only called a witness to the advent of the babe of Bethlehem, but we're also called to witness to what we've seen and heard, to stand and deliver, to testify to the reality of an event that has occurred, a gift that has been given. Now, we may find ourselves in the dark at certain points in our lives, holding in what is happening inside us, or so injured that we try and unload our burdens on others, but that is not the witness we are called to. We are called to testify to the goodness of God. We are called to tell the world that God loves them. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be Jesus. We just have to let his light shine as we tell others about God's work. Well, let's end with this. I can't end a message on being a witness and testifying to God's incredible love without telling you what happened this week. Some of you know we've been praying for Evelyn, who joined our church last year. Evelyn was very sick a couple of weeks ago and had to be hospitalized. After several days, she was diagnosed with cancer and sent home. I had a chance to share communion with her and pray with her, and many of us have been stunned by her response. She is not overwhelmed. She is not begging God for mercy, nor is she ignoring it. She is facing it unflinchingly. It's beautiful to see. And then she had a turn for the worse and had to be readmitted to the hospital last week. The pain was intense, and she didn't want to see anyone for a few days, but then I got the word this past Sunday that she wanted to see me, and I thought, yes, of course, I would always visit with someone at their request. So I went to see her on Tuesday, and she looked great. She looked like the epitome of health, and we sat and talked, and she said, Pastor, I'm not sure how to say this, but I feel great. I woke up on Sunday during our church service, which was right around the time we would have been praying for her. 
She says, I felt like something was different. My pain was gone. My symptoms are gone. They told me I would start to feel this and that, but there is absolutely nothing. I think I might have experienced a miracle. Now, I have to put in a warning here. We talked together about her still going to the doctor and checking in with them. There is no good to anyone in ignoring our symptoms or diseases. Even if you think you've had a miracle, check with your doctor. It's not denying the miracle. It's confirming it. So we are still waiting on Evelyn to follow up with her doctor, but far be it from me to not give praise and glory to God. She is pain-free, where before she was sleepy and lethargic. God is good. Let's give testimony to the incredible work God has done in this world and through each one of us. We are not the light. We simply point to the light. As the psalm says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your sin, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life. God has redeemed each and every one of us, not because of anything we have done. We don't deserve any of the miracles we see in this world. We simply receive it. We accept it as the good and holy work of God. We are not the light. We simply point to it. In this Christmas season, may you help point others to this great light. Jesus is on the way. And we are called to bear witness, to tell others, Jesus is here. You may not feel worthy, but none of us are. All we can do is point to a good and loving God who blesses all with forgiveness, healing, and redemption. May this Christmas be filled with light, not from you, but through you, as you bear witness to the light of Christ. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.